that then was Elevation Worship featuring Brandon Lake with Graves into Gardens. Thank you for joining us this morning. With me on the line is somebody that I am very, very excited to speak to. Her name is Dr. Matamela M. Mafune Malawutsi. She's known as Dr. Mela. That's how I also know her from Instagram. And she's a medical doctor, a surgeon with a degree from Wits University. She's a medical advisor, a mentor, an inspiration. And she recently joined the corporate side of the medical field. I can't wait to hear what that's all about. Dr. Mela, good day and welcome to Radio Pulpit and K-Pulpit. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'd like for you to just take us back to the beginning. Where did your journey start? Um, I would say my journey probably started when I was very young, um, probably primary school, to be honest with you. So a lot of people don't know, but I was bullied a lot in primary school and high school. And uh, that resulted in me spending a lot of my time in the library. And I'll never forget this one book I read. I was actually like a library monitor. It was on Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, one of the quotes that I got from it was something like, be the change you wish to see in the world. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I told myself, like, you know, I'm not going to be a victim of my circumstances because, you know, bullying can really affect you as a child. Absolutely. And I asked myself, like, what are you going to do with your life? Who do you want to be? And the answer was very simple was I'm going to help people. I want to help people. I want to help people have a voice and whether it be in the medical space or it be in my personal space, but I know what it's like not to have a voice, to have your voice taken away from me by other people. And I could say that's really where my journey began. That's where I started feeling like, listen, you can become a doctor and you can be part and parcel in changing someone's life, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, that's where the journey began. And honestly, even getting into medical school was not easy. Um, I have or two siblings at home, actually, it's me and my older brother. And he is extremely smart, extremely intelligent. That kid who was getting 99% for mathematics, <laughs> and there Ooh. I was struggling. Um, we were two years were two years apart. So the pressure was was high. You know, this guy would study five hours and he got so many distinctions when he finished matric. And there I was wanting to do medicine, but my marks were not showing for it. And I remember the one time when we had to pick subjects, I can't remember if it's grade nine or grade 10. And my mom asked me like, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a doctor. And she said to me, okay, um, we're going to do everything we can to help you. And so she got me a math tutor, an English tutor, a physical science. I had, I had extra classes for everything. Wow. You know, so, so me getting into medicine was not easy. And I, I remember my matric year, all I did was study, sleep, watch one episode of Grey's Anatomy. That was on, on repeat over mm -hmm. and over and over again. And, you know, God is faithful. And I remember one of my most of my teachers actually in high school they were like you you your marks don't qualify you to get into medicine how are you gonna get in and I and I remember my biology teacher saying to me why don't you try physiotherapy you know mm -hmm. that's something that's not too saturated at, at the moment you could possibly get in there and I remember that conversation so well because in that moment I had to stand on faith mm -hmm. and I had to be like nope I'm not this is not what God has promised me 
he said, I'm going to be a medical doctor and that's exactly what's going to happen. And lo and behold, you know, I got accepted into most of the universities um, when I finished. I didn't go through any extended programs. I didn't, you know, God, God did that. So, what a God, yeah. what a God, what a God yeah. indeed. And yeah. what I love about your story, doctor, is that um, medical doctors are extremely intelligent people. They yeah. are so clever and there might be somebody who really, really has a passion to be that, but their marks are not reflecting that right now. But yes. you are saying with help and guidance, God is able to turn it around. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, in grade ten and eleven, I was a C at most, a C student. You know, main a lot of D's were in my report. And you know, if you are committed to something, I believe that God will meet you there. If you put in the work, you know, God wants us to be people of excellence. That's what He He requests and demands of us. And I don't think that if you're putting in the work, he's not going to meet you at that place of need. Mm-hmm. So my personal you know, belief is that if you do what you need to do on your side, there's nothing that is impossible. Absolutely. And you were named one of 100 young Mandelas of the future in 2019 and Mail and Guardian's 50 most powerful women in the country. <laughs> when you hear that, knowing your story, <laughs> what, what, is that, what does that feel like? You know what? I think it's very emotional for me. I'm going to be quite honest with you. It's really overwhelming because, you know, all you have for yourself is this one dream, this one thing that you want to achieve. But God just says, no, that's we're not stop. We're not done yet. You know, mm-hmm. and to just see how God continues to elevate me. It's very humbling. And it makes me feel like, indeed, I am somehow walking in my purpose. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for that to even be recognized I mean those are things that you don't apply for you know those are things that you just get an email hey congratulations and it's and for me the fact that I was recognized not only as a medical doctor but also for my um, organization that I had at the time which was a young Christian woman's organization where you know it was every woman needs to be the author of her own story Mm -hmm. and the fact that I was recognized in circular um, media for a mm. Christian organization was even more humbling. Sure. That is incredible. I want to take you a bit back, doctor. You mentioned going through bullying. Um, Cyberbullying mm. today makes it even worse, I think, for the younger generation. But then you also, you speak very openly about having suffered with body dysmorphic disorder, which is an obsessive focus on a perceived flaw in appearance. Tell us mm. about how you overcame that and, and how do you deal with that? To be honest with you, that one wasn't, it wasn't easy, especially because of social media, like you're saying, there's this perception of what beauty is, you know, there's this idealization of you have to have a body like this and you have to look like that. And I think for me, one thing I learned was that my body dysmorphia came out from the bullying because I was bullied for being too tall and, you know, being a bigger person. And at the time, I wasn't like, I'm not a big person, but people can make you believe things about yourself. Mm-hmm. And because growing up, I was being told, like, listen, you're too tall and you're this and you're that. It made me very so self-conscious about the way I look. And as I got older, it, then we were able to label it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, you have body dysmorphia because when you look in the mirror, you don't see what everybody else sees. 
you see yourself as this giant, as this very unpretty person. You just naturally feel ugly all the time. And I had to do a lot of therapy for that. I had to be very honest with myself and be honest with the therapist, but also be honest with God. I had to go to God and be like, God, something is wrong here. Like, I can't, I, I just don't find myself pretty. And not to say that you have to be pretty to have body dysmorphia. No, it just means that you exaggerate things mm-hmm. about yourself. You know, I was exaggerating my weight, for example. And I'm grateful that it never got to a point of having an eating disorder, but definitely got close to that. And I think that, um, you know, how I overcame it, honestly, was just one day looking in the mirror and just being like, this is not recognizing the patterns. I recognize mm-hmm. that this is not healthy. I have to love myself. You know how as people, everybody's preaching self-love, but do we yes. really know what it is? Exactly. You know, it's not, it's not just about saying, oh, love yourself as you are. No, it's about looking at your imperfections and your flaws and being okay with that. And if it's something you feel like you can change 100%, go ahead. Mm-hmm. But don't ostracize yourself for who God made you to be. And I think that I had to really do a lot of introspection and go down to the nitty gritty of, okay, this is, what is the trigger? What caused this? And I had to get to that in order for me to heal and to be able to move forward. And to be honest with you, it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I feel like you can just get over in a day, especially Mm -hmm. because of social media and the way that the world you know, portrays beauty and the standards of beauty. But I, I'm starting to believe that, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than being confident in your own skin and just loving yourself really, really for who God made you to be. That's right. And as you're talking now, I'm thinking that I think some of us also suffer from spiritual dysmorphic disorder because yeah. the devil will start at a very young age to convince you that you are not who God says you are or who the word says you are. And when you look in the mirror, which is the word, you are seeing that uh, it says all these powerful things. And sometimes people will come to you and say, you are a powerful woman. But when you mm-hmm. think yourself, you're like, what are these people talking about? I am this little, little uh, bug, you know? So I think, uh, <laughs> it is so important that as we take our mental health seriously, we also mm-hmm. take a hard look at whether we are able to see ourselves for who we are spiritually. 100%. That is so powerful. I, I love that. Yeah, it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. If you just tune in, we are talking to Dr. Mela. We're going to take a very, very quick music break because I have a lot that I still want to ask you and we'll do that right after this. Here's Joe Metal with Let It Rain. That then, the sounds of Joe Metal with Lady Drain. My name is Jenna Lee Belong, and I'm your host for this hour right here on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit. We're talking to Dr. Matamela. She's, of course, known as Dr. Mela on social media. And I want to uh, get to your social media presence, Dr., your Instagram presence you managed to motivate people you recently shared your journey of of your your wedding and buying a new house what what made you decide <laughs> to open up your life to really just be an encouragement for others um you know my husband and I have this conversation a lot because sometimes you'll ask yourself like why are you doing this you know but i think for me it's that um we're living in a social media era And the one thing Jesus um, advised all of us to do was to spread the gospel, you know, and I feel like we're in a time where 
you can spread the gospel anywhere. And that literally can be on social media. Mm-hmm. Somebody can receive salvation um, through a post, you mm-hmm. know, that you've made just through a word of encouragement. And so that was the reason, to be honest with you. The main reason was that I wanted, the Bible says that you are the light of the world, you mm-hmm. know, um, city on a hill. So I wanted to be that. I feel like not enough of us are proud of um our Christianity, and we don't stand boldly on that. And I just wanted to, you know, to just give a bit of motivation to people, let it be through my life, let it through be through my profession, however way, but I felt like, you know, we need to do things to glorify God and let everybody see that, that God, God, God can do this for you also. And for me, it was just from a point of motivation to say, you know, let's spread the gospel through social media, however way that may be. Yes. I want to look at the most recent post you made on Instagram. You said sometimes you just have to go in on yourself, reassess the way you have been moving, make the changes that nobody else knows you are in need (laughs) of. Embrace change. I love that. That's so powerful. I've been talking about that. Sometimes we want to win publicly, but we all know that the Mm. things that keeps us from winning in life is those small things that we need to change within ourselves. Why did you post that? What brought you to that thought? I think once again, it's coming down to it being a new year. And the fact that, like you're saying, a lot of us just care more about how things look than how our life feels. And there are a lot of things that we don't talk about with people, a lot of things that we're dealing with, you know, a lot of spiritual things that we're dealing with. And I think it is just for me a way to remind every post that I make, by the way, it's not just for other people. It's also mm-hmm. like my for myself. Mm-hmm. It's like my my diary, you know, so it was a reminder that how my life feels and my standing with God and my walk in Christ is more important than how it looks to other people. You know, it's not just about being praised um, on social media or in any sort of um, outlet, but it's about the fact that you need to do the hard work that only you and God know about. We all have flaws. We all have things that we can work on in our relationship with God. And like you're saying, when you work on those things, it will show. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just felt like, you know, um, it is a message to other people, but also to myself that, it's important to work on the things that nobody knows about for your own good. Absolutely. I want to talk about the change that you made uh, more towards the corporate uh, side of the medical world. What does that mean and why did you make that change? So I've always had a huge passion for public health medicine as a whole. I mean, I would always, uh, you know, I still say one day I'm going to be the minister of health. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, how I, I love to, to view health on a national scale, on a global scale. I have a huge interest in how the system works. I've worked at Charlotte McLeague Hospital, which is one of the best public hospitals in the country, if not Africa. Mm-hmm. And then for my ComServe, I went to one of the most rural, I threw myself in the most rural area in Limpopo because I wanted to see the contrast in our healthcare. And it really, for me, was an awakening to say, okay, there's a, there's a breakage here. These things are not balancing. These hospitals are not run remotely in the same way. Mm-hmm. And my interest is, how can we make that better? How can we make that little clinic in a village um, to provide the same healthcare as, you know, a clinic in Gauteng? 
And my passion is to better healthcare for mm. people as a whole, not just at one hospital. So that for me, my love is a specialty called public health medicine, which mm. deals with policymaking in healthcare. It deals with, you know, healthcare on a national level. And so I always knew I was going to jump from a clinical space Mm-hmm. to a non-clinical space and that's 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 kind of what corporate medicine is corporate medicine is you working in more of like the private sector but the insurance side or the pharmaceutical side of healthcare where you are dealing with um you know policy making for those insurance companies where you're dealing with regulations of medication or regulations of healthcare and that that was kind of the reason why I made the jump because I've always had a passion for health better health care for people as a whole and not just servicing a few people at a time you know I listen to you and I see what you do and it is so much how did you find time between all of this all this <laughs> ambition to find love to find your husband <laughs> to get married to go on this incredible honeymoon tell give give some tips to our listeners how do you find the one <laughs> oh <laughs> I would say the one found me to be <laughs> I mean I Honestly, I'm not quite sure how to answer that, but I would say that, you know, my husband and I met when we were both in university. And so it it was kind of easier back then. You know, obviously you have a very strict schedule, but I hadn't opened my NPOs. I was just strictly a student. And I think the one thing that my husband always encouraged me to be was just 100% myself, but also pushed me to be what you're saying you want to be and don't be afraid to go for it. So for me, I think that having that support in a partner really makes it easier. Like we're we're each other's cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. You know, if he wins, I'm there to cheer him on. If I win, he's there to cheer me on. And I think that having um, a relationship with somebody who you both have your own ambitions and goals, but you're still able to support each other in terms mm-hmm. of um you know, just the biggest scheme. Because remember, even if in your in your marriage or in a relationship, you still have your own ambitions and you still have your own dreams. And so does your partner. And I think it's important to find that balance where the most important thing for me is teamwork. And I've I've been learning, you know, I'm newlywed. I mean, we've only been married for a year. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, lessons I learned at one of our church conferences was that, you know, always work from a point of being a team. It's always us. It's not you know, me and you. And mm-hmm. I think when you apply that principle in anything that you do, you guys will will work better because you both want the same thing. You both mm-hmm. on the same page, whether it's for that person or it's for yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now you mentioned teamwork, you mentioned um, supporting one another, being each other's cheerleaders. But I want to ask you, what do you think is is, is the number one thing to keep your marriage as beautiful as your wedding dress was because it was gorgeous. <laughs> what do you think you so much? What do you think is the number one thing that that you want to implement to keep that marriage beautiful? Oh, I think that one is it's very simple, straightforward. That's that's God. The mm-hmm. the foundation of any relationship, any courtship, any marriage has to be God because when you apply the biblical principles into your relationship, into your marriage, and just into yourselves as people, you are able to handle things better. 
I, I think that, you know, in, in a relationship in the middle or as the foundation, it has to be God, who's the mm. one that directs you, who leads you. Even in the midst of conflict, you know, sometimes we just take a moment and we're like, okay, I think we need to pray about this because the devil has ways of mm-hmm. trying to, mm-hmm. to ruin a good thing, of trying to make things bigger than they are. But as soon as you pray about something, as soon as you remember that this is something that's ordained by God, mm-hmm. it's a ministry. Absolutely. And you have to take care of it. You have to serve it. Service is so important to each other. My husband and I were talking about this the other day, about how it's important that you don't just do what you like. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you do what you don't like for the other person. That's sacrifice and that's service. And if you go into a marriage or in a relationship with a very selfish mentality, you're going to struggle. Yes. And those those things are not things we can achieve on our own. You know, those are fruits of the spirit. Um, those are things that only the Holy Spirit can implement in you. And that's why God has to be the foundation. Absolutely. We're going to um, ask her later listeners. We are getting to the end of our interview, but I'm still going to get to her journaling and how she studies the word. Uh, also, once again, on a very beautiful way, doctor, I think everything you do is just beautiful. Everything <laughs> is just gorgeous. But I wow. just <laughs> I just still want to ask you about your your NPO. You have an NPO. It's called Anansi Children Foundation, and they build libraries for underprivileged schools in Limpopo and Venda. You know what? I think having heard your testimony now about the role of the library in your life, mm. I understand that a bit. Is that what motivated this NPO? Definitely. You won't believe it. That was actually the first NPO I had. I remember registering it in my, I think I was turning 18 in my first year of medical school. And um, I was registering it with my mom because I was just so passionate. I felt like books changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted a book to change somebody else's life. And that was, you know, what propelled me into starting that organization. But I think if you if you see, you'll realize that my organization, I've had three organizations actually. Mm-hmm. And NPO then became the Big Sister Program. And that, you know, entailed... Um, me being a big sister to somebody else, which is what I always wished to have growing up as I only had an older brother. Mm-hmm. And then that then catapulted into the Purple Sisterhood, which mm-hmm. was the most recent NPO, which um, was kind of what I was more recognized for from Mail and Guardian to News 24. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, you know, helping young women have a voice. Um, help. That's where we did our pad drives. We went to schools. We um, mentored women from all over the world. There was one year I remember in my fourth year, we had over three hundred and fifty women from as far as Russia mm-hmm. um, to America, and that was just a testament to what God can do if you let Him use you. But unfortunately, because medicine is so demanding, I had mm-hmm. to stop that just so that I could finish my medical career at some point. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know that God will give you the grace at some point again, maybe to delegate, because that was such, that was such a, an important movement, that Purple Sisterhood Mentorship you just mentioned. And uh, just mm-hmm. very quickly, also tell us about the jewelry and accessory company. Yes, I'm so passionate about that one. So this was another way that I felt like, how else could I spread the gospel? You know, and I thought, let's wear the word. And that's where Mm -hmm. the whole point of the jewelry line came up from. I've actually had it for about three years now. And we're reopening now in March, actually. And Mm -hmm. we're also in the process of looking for a physical store. 
So I'm I'm really passionate about making the making um the gospel fashionable. Yeah. You know, as young Christians, we all want to we 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 love those pretty journals, we love those pretty bibles. I was like, why don't we do the same thing with jewelry? Mm-hmm. You know, find a way to to make um you know the word fashionable and something that's relatable to myself and any other young person out there. And that was kind of what motivated the whole line. But we're expanding now. We're also doing um, candles. We're coming back with the clothing line. So that's also really exciting. Wow. And uh, it's called Abiana Store. What does that mean, Abiana Store? That name? Abiana Store. You're going to laugh. Abriana. Oh, Abriana. There we go. Abriana. What does it mean? (laughs) It's actually quite cute. It means uh, it's the female version of Abraham. And my husband actually gave me that name when we got married. Um, I don't know if you know, in in African cultures, you're renamed, you're given a name um, when you get married into a family. And so my, my husband's family didn't give me a vendor name. They gave me a Hebrew name. And they said because they believed I was going to be the mother of many nations. Wow. So they named me Abriana, and that's where the name comes from. Oh, that's beautiful. So if you're looking for it, it's Abriana underscore S-A. That's A-B-R-I-A-N-A underscore S-A. Dr. Mela, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And I want to end with this. I want to ask you about the importance of really taking time to study the word of God yourself. Um, when you go and you read the statistics about how many people actually read the Bible, I'm not talking about how many people read journals or, you know, Mm. just that little scripture at the bottom of the journal. I'm talking about people Mm. who actually sit and they read the Bible. It's quite shocking. But you are one of those people who also, once again, advocate and uh, I want to say make it popular to sit and read and study your Bible. Why is that so important? I think it's because, honestly, the word the word is life. You know, the word changes me. I mean, I've had seasons where I've suffered with anxiety and depression when I was in medical school. The 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 pressure and the stress was just extreme. And for some reason, when you're going through those seasons, the devil knows how to push you away from God. And the further away you go from the word, the more overwhelming, the more clouded, the more heavy your world seems. And because I feel like the world, the word saved me. Mm-hmm. I, I advocate for that because I know how powerful the word of God is. I know how, you know, scripture can bring healing. It can bring peace. It can bring, um, you know, all these things into your life. And so because I've had a personal testimony of what the word has done for me, I feel like that's why I advocate for that. And not to say I'm, I'm a great Bible reader. Of course not. I don't think anybody can be great in that sense because the Bible also needs revelation. But I I like encouraging people to read the word because I know how powerful the word is. And I'm a testimony of what the word of God can do. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, Somebody might be listening and they're saying, Jenna Lee, how can you have a medical doctor and you didn't get any medical advice? So for those those people, doctor, what is the what is the number one medical advice you want to leave them with? Hmm. You know what? I would say mental health is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I, I also advocate for. So in terms of medical advice, I would say that know when to seek help. Um, don't be afraid to seek help. And 
don't be afraid to speak up. It's okay not to be okay. And I'm talking from a mental wealth point now. Mm-hmm. It's okay for you to, you know, feel down or to feel depressed. Sometimes you not you may not be able to quantify or put into words how you're feeling or what it is you're feeling. And, you know, don't be afraid to to just reach out for help, to reach out to somebody to speak to. Um, you'll be surprised how many people are going through what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely you are not alone there's other people mm-hmm. who can identify with you and help you if you would like to follow dr mela mulauzi she's available at dr mela that's d-r-m-e-l-a underscore md dr mela thank you so much for your time today god bless you and keep on doing what you're doing minister keep on doing what you're doing thank you thank you so much i'm so honored that you even chose to feature me on um, your station and thank you so much remain blessed